Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord. The scripture reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as our Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Well, the Lord be with you. It's great to see all of you here today, and it's wonderful to know that others of you are joining us and watching us remotely from various places around this area, around the nation, and maybe even around the world. And so we're grateful that you're with us this morning. Speaking about online, last Sunday, Several, many of you who were here last Sunday and online took the opportunity to, not those online, but the ones who were here, to come down front and place their uh, commitment cards in the baskets that we had at the front. And similarly, those online used our, our electronic portal to also make a commitment. And I just want to encourage you, first of all, if you haven't made that pledge yet, to go ahead and do that, that commitment. And I'm also wanting to express words of thanks. I heard a preliminary report, and it's very encouraging that many of us are finding ways to engage. If you're looking for cards, cards are available in your pews, and they're also at the Welcome Center, and feel free to take those home with you, fill them out, or do them here today. Or you can also go on the website and simply follow the instructions there. But we're grateful, grateful for your engagement and your participation. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Loving God, you promised that whenever we open the scriptures and read them, you would bring light to us. So we ask now that you would fulfill that promise and you would open our eyes that we will see, we will hear, and we will respond to you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, we are reading a portion of scripture that Lori read for us, thank you Lori, a portion of scripture that is talking about difficulty seeing, blindness, the problem of blindness. And today, following this service, as you heard uh, Reverend Larson share with us, the History and Archives Committee will meet down here at the front and will give anyone who wants to see 
and understand a little bit more about the history of our church and the meaning that's embedded in these windows, that would be your opportunity. I'll tell you this. In the time that I've lived here, we have visited the National Cathedral, the Museum of the Bible, we visited the, the African American History uh, Museum, and each time we go, they give us nothing. You know, we walk and walk and walk, not even a cup of water, but here, we're raising the bar. And this is the only place in the district where if you go and see the historic beauty in our buildings, this is the only place where we're going to feed you. <laughs> and so your kids are going to be hungry, so stick around and they will, our team will feed you. So thank you for that. I will tell you this, though, the first time I walked into this building was a year ago, September of 2022, and I was here visiting with the pastor nominating committee. And after several hours of conversation, at the very end, we were given the opportunity to see this space. And so we came right through those center doors, came down the aisle and stopped midway, and we just took it all in. And I remember looking at the windows, and I saw them. I looked at the windows along the aisles where many of you are seated. I looked at the windows, and I thought they were beautiful. A year later, September of 2023, the History and Archives Committee invited my wife and I and others to do a walk through our building to learn a little bit more about the history of our church and to really see the windows. And I'm telling you, I've, I saw the windows, but when they started showing me the intricacies, what's hidden in plain sight, my eyes were opened. My eyes were opened. And I promise you that if you participate in this tour, your eyes are going to be open. And so that's what the reading is about this morning. In large part, Paul is defending himself. Paul is responding to a group of critics in the Corinthian church who tried to diminish him, try to minimize him, say horrible things about him. And here are some of the things his critics were saying. We don't like him because he's too short. They really said that. He's not skilled. He's not eloquent enough. He's not a great public speaker. He doesn't measure up to the speaking abilities of the popular speakers that we admire. They also said his writing is okay, but when you hear him in person, it's kind of boring. They also said he's a weak leader. He doesn't have the right credentials to lead as an apostle. You think cancel culture is a 21st century phenomenon. I will tell you that it's a first century phenomenon because they wanted to cancel Paul. But what does this leader do? Instead of returning fire for fire, how did Paul respond to his critics? If you have your Bibles open, and if you would, turn with me to the text that was just read on page 939. We're talking about seeing, right? And I want you to be able to see the scripture. So if you would go to page 939 and just find 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1. If you brought your Bibles with you, 
you could locate that. Similarly, for those of you online, if you would also turn to that passage, I want you to see what Paul says to us this morning. So he has all these people raining down criticisms on him. And notice what he says to them in response in verse 1. He reminds them that it is because of God's mercy why he says, we have this ministry. You really didn't call me. God was the one who called me to this ministry is what he's saying. And then he says with, with the kind of grit and fortitude that all of us would admire, he says, we're not going to lose heart. We're not going to quit because you are being harsh and critical about me and my ministry. The thing about Paul that I've noticed, and I've read his letters several times over and over, the thing about Paul is that I think till the day he died, Paul never stopped thanking God for his mercy because Paul knew. He knew the life that he lived before he met Christ. Paul called himself the chief of sinners because he persecuted God's church. So he said, God called me. I'm not going to quit. But the second thing he does in responding to his critics is in verse 2. He says these words, and I think this was a jab against those other kind of leaders. He says, we, in comparison to the kind of leaders that you're drawn to, we have renounced the shameful things. The shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning we refuse to lower ourselves so for, for clicks. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. He's basically saying, look, guys, this is who I am. My life is an open book. Nothing here to see, folks. I have nothing to hide. Take a look. We're not like those all flash and no substance preachers that you find so attractive. This is who we are. And then he responds a third way to their criticisms, and it's in verse 4, where he begins to defend his preaching. And I use the word defend to give the reason for which he is preaching the gospel. And essentially, he's saying in verse 4, your inability to appreciate my message and the style of my preaching it's not due to any defective content that I'm sharing with you. It's, it's, it's not veiled. It's not hidden. The problem is a lack of content or poor hom... It's not a problem of, of, of content or poor homiletical skills. He says the problem is spiritual blindness. Take a look at verse 4 and see if you agree with me. He says... The God of this world, the God of this world has blinded your eyes so that you are unable to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's not a problem with me. It's not a problem with content. This is a demonic problem. This is a satanic problem. The God of this age has blinded the eyes of those who are yet to believe. And that is a, a scary thing to consider, that it's not me, it's your spiritual blindness that's causing these difficulties. 
It reminds me of the parable of Jesus that he told about the sower who went out to sow. And the scriptures tell us that when the sower sowed the seed, some fell on a path that was well-traveled, that was hard, and the seed just sat on the surface, and the birds came and whisked it away. Some fell among rocky soil, and the, the, the response, the seed grew up. There was a small plant, but because there wasn't enough soil and root, before long, that plant died. Some fell among weeds, and they... It flourished, this plant flourished, but over time the weeds choked that little plant and it died, but some fell on good soil. The disciples say, Jesus, we have no idea what you're talking about. We can't understand it. Jesus explains the parable to them and he says to them, these are the ones on the path where the seed is sown. Now listen to this, I have it on the screen for you. When they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Look at that again. This is what we're up against. Satan comes and he does that. He said, well, why does the devil do that? Why does the God of this age do that? Well, the devil's mission is to prevent you and me and people from hearing and understanding God's word because once they hear it, and it begins to find a place in their lives, their lives will be turned toward God, and the devil does not want that to happen. And so when I came and I stood in that, in that aisle, and I looked up at the windows, I really couldn't see the windows for what they represent. My eyes just weren't picking them up. Someone came and helped me to see. And now when I look at the windows, I see them in a whole different light. Satan doesn't want you, my brothers and sisters, to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That is the reason why God has given us his word and he's given us preachers and teachers and Sunday school teachers to help us to see. Paul also, when he looked at his own people, his own Jewish people, he saw the same condition. And notice what he says. If you want to turn, not turn, you can look at it in, in look over at chapter 3 and verse 14, if you still have your Bibles open. Look at what Paul says about his own people. He says, their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, when they hear the reading of Torah, that same veil, and he's talking about the veil that Moses had over his face, that same veil is still there since only in Christ is it set aside. Friends, you cannot, you cannot see, you have difficulty seeing what you cannot understand. Our eyes are blind. Paul opens, the scriptures open our eyes. The great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said it this way, and I want you to see this. One can be quite adept and knowledgeable about the natural things and still be blind to spiritual things. And then he says this, one may be a very keen politician. One may be a first-rate businessman, a businesswoman. One may even be an eminent scientist, a profound thinker and still experience spiritual blindness. 
What is spiritual blindness? Spiritual blindness is the inability to discern the things of God. Paul said in another place that the spiritually blind person, the spiritually blind person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to them. And they are unable to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And I want to say something this morning to those of you who are relating to a sister, a brother, a loved one who looks at your faith, who looks at your church going, who looks at your Bible reading and your prayer life as being foolishness. I had somebody like that in my family many years ago, and we were all praying. We were praying for our father, who scoffed and berated and dismissed and actually tried in different times to stop my mother, his wife, from going to church. But we did not give up because we knew that it was spiritual blindness that he was experiencing. He simply couldn't see. And praise the Lord, we lived long enough to see God get a hold of my father, opened his eyes, and he started going to church. All the years, the earliest years of my ministry as a pastor, my father didn't darken the door of the church, but when Jesus opened his eyes, I had the privilege of standing in the pulpit and seeing my father sitting there as a believer in Jesus Christ. But that passage is a very, very graphic description of the human condition before God. That there are people in the world, people here in this church, who can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And there are people in this church, maybe people in the world, who simply cannot see what Jesus wants them to see. And I want you to understand this because some of us here this morning, you are praying for your children and your children just can't see it. You're praying for your spouse. You're praying for your siblings or your neighbors. You're praying for your colleagues at work. And I say to you this morning, continue to pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit will lift that veil. Why do I say that? Because there is a promise. And if you look at verse 16 of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, I want you to see that promise. We didn't read it in the reading, but it's there. 2 Corinthians 3, 16, that when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And that's why the devil is busy in the world. He wants no one to turn to the Lord. And then Paul does one last thing to respond to his critics. He takes them back to the dawn of creation. If you look at 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, you'll see what I'm speaking of, where he says, for it is, it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness who was shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Just as God created something out of nothing, just as God created order out of the chaos of the primordial world, Almighty God is the same God today who will take the chaos of your life will shine light into your life, shine light into the darkness, and bring order out of the chaos of your life. Don't miss this. I think that's what Paul wants us to know. Salvation is from the Lord. 
And when God moves supernaturally, when God moves sovereignly in a person's life, what happens is the scales begin to fall and suddenly, suddenly they can see. They see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. What's our responsibility to those who cannot see? Let me tell you a quick couple stories. Not long ago, when we were still living in the Chicago area, we go to a certain supermarket that we enjoy going to, and that day was a very, very snowy day. That's why I moved here, by the way. <laughs> no more snowy days. Yeah, you said right, right? But we, I walked out of that supermarket, and this woman was pushing her cart, grocery cart, laden with groceries, and all of a sudden, she just stopped in the middle of the, 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 the parking lot, and she ran toward the street. And it's like we're wondering what's going on, and when we look, here is this man. He's holding two grocery bags, and he's walking with a cane. He's sight impaired. Now, if you've been to Chicago, you understand what I'm talking about. Those snowy days where the plow trucks come through, and they move the snow off the street, and suddenly the, the, the sidewalk is a mound of snow, icy. And what the woman was doing, she was anticipating that as this man walked with his groceries and tried to see where he was going, the chances of him falling, cracking his head on the concrete was very high. She left her, grocery, her groceries right in the middle of the driveway, ran over, took the man by the elbow and guided him. He was going to a bus stop. And she guided him to the bus stop. And then she came back and got her cart. And you could just tell, I know, I felt really good to see humanity at its best. Because I didn't see the man. She saw the man. And that's what's going on in the world. There are people who can't see. And we have to see them and pray for them and encourage them. Because danger, danger is ahead. If you heard of the reading and you're noticing in the reading, Paul describes our role as we have this treasure in jars of clay. I think he was again responding to his critics because, yes, they saw his flaws. He had no hair, just like me. He was short, maybe had a paunch and overweight. His speaking wasn't the greatest. His writing maybe wasn't the greatest as far as they were concerned. And Paul says, so what? I'm a, I'm a clay jar. If you drop me too hard, I'm going to crack. In fact, I can show you the cracks in my life. I'm not pristine. I'm not made of marble, is what he's saying. And none of us here is made of marble. We're jars of clay. And I think what he wants us to know, for some reason, the God of heaven, the God of all creation, chose weak people like Ray Hilton, jars of clay, like the congregation of the National Presbyterian Church. And what did God do with us? God put a deposit of his power and his gospel and his good news in us so that we can be good news people to the world and we can share the message of Jesus. Why would God do that? So that the glory can go to God and not to us. And Paul is just saying, take that, you critics. One more story and then I'll sit. Brief story about, about a man by the, by the name of Kamesh Sankaran. He's currently working as a professor of engineering and physics 
at Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington. At the time he came to faith, he says, he was a PhD student in aerospace engineering at Princeton. He grew up in southern India in a small city. His brothers, his two brothers, were first-generation high school graduates. And he says, so, that, so the fact that I ended up working toward a NASA-funded PhD in aerospace propulsion at Princeton, coming from a family where the highest achievement in education was high school, he says it's nothing less than a miracle. And like any miracles recorded in scripture, he says it had a, had a deeper purpose to draw me to Christ. And then he describes his hometown. He says, my hometown is, a, is prominent in Hinduism because of its, its historic temples and a renowned monastery. Hinduism is in the soil, it's in the water, it's in the air. I grew up in a devout Hindu family that was inseparable from the, from the highest echelons of religious leadership. My commitment to Hinduism grew deeper when I left home at the age of 11 to study at a boarding school run by prominent, a prominent religious leader and where I excelled and, ex and, and excelled beyond the expectations of my, my parents and my teachers. And then he says, many years later, he comes to America and he became the leader of the Hindu Students Association at Princeton. But he says, before arriving there, before arriving in America, I had been exposed to Christianity through friends, the prominence of the Catholic colleges in India, and Christian movies released in the United States. I was also, he says, intellectually curious about various world religions. I remember seeing the icons and statues in the Orthodox and the Catholic churches and thinking them to be similar to the gods I worship. I did not, Ramesh said, I did not consider Christianity to be fundamentally different from Hinduism, but merely an appropriate religion for a different society. On the other hand, I harbored deep disdain for Christian cultural and moral values as they were represented by Western culture. Like most Hindus today, I thought they were a form of debauchery. Compared to the teachings of Hinduism, they seemed intolerably lax. In my mind then, Jesus could qualify as one among many in the pantheon of gods, but nothing more. My commitment to Hinduism also included a strong nationalist element and the worldview behind it, and this resulted in a deep mistrust and antipathy toward religious conversion, especially conversion to Christianity. And despite this, despite this, God was crucially at work, preparing me to receive Christ through my friendship with a fellow PhD student. As I worked alongside him for more than 12 hours a day, I respected him as a colleague, and eventually I became close friends, not only with him, but with his family. And on a few occasions, the cross of Christ came up in casual conversation. Sensing that I was missing something, my friend explained that Jesus Christ died bearing our sins to reconcile us to God. This was something he said I'd never heard of, and it deeply offended me. 
I was, a, I was a deeply religious person, someone s diligently striving to be good. How could my friend think that anyone, much less someone like me, was a sinner in need of salvation? Yes, I had problems, but wasn't I capable of solving them on my own? Why would I need Jesus? Why would I need Jesus to bear my sins? Out of respect for a friend and fellow researcher, I finally asked him, show me the money. Show me the evidence for your claim about Jesus and the cross. And my friend readily encouraged me to read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, an author that I recognized from other popular works, but I quickly realized that I needed to go deeper. I needed to go directly, he says, to the primary source. So I asked my friend again, buy me a Bible. Intellectually, as I read the Bible, I wrestled with three fundamental questions. Who is God? Who am I? What is my relationship with God? And the more I pondered these questions, the clearer it became that the answers offered by Hinduism and Christianity are utterly incompatible. I had to reject the former to receive the latter. Functionally, I had to rethink all of life from a clean slate because I simply did not have a framework, I didn't have the vocabulary to make sense of my new identity. And then he says words that make my heart sing. Every genuine Christian conversion is a miracle a transition from spiritual death to eternal life, from eternity, from eternity with God to adoption into his family, from darkness to light, from darkness to light, from blindness to sight. When I consider the chasm between my old outlook on life and my new life in Christ, I can only marvel at God's work of redemption and fall down at my knees in praise and thanksgiving to God for opening my eyes so that I can see Christ. And that happened to Ramesh, still teaching at Withworth College, still acknowledging that I once was blind but now I see. And then this quote from Calvin, which essentially sums up what we are saying. The blindness of unbelievers in no way detracts from the clearness of the gospel. And just because my dad poo-pooed religion it's not because Christianity was opaque. The clearness of the gospel, for the sun is no less resplendent because the blind do not perceive it. And so I encourage you, my brothers and sisters, keep on praying. For those who are yet to see, do not be afraid to share the love that you have for Jesus with the Rameshis of the world.
because you never know what those conversations might do in opening the eyes. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, you are the maker of the human eyes. You can open eyes that are physically blind. Literally, you can open the eyes of the blind, and you can open the eyes of those who are spiritually blind, physically blind. Lord, we pray you will continue to do that miracle in all of our lives, in all the places where we find ourselves, that your light will shine through us so that others may see. In Jesus' name, amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprayers.org. That's nationalprayers.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week. <laughs>